Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Jason, musicians, singers. That was beautiful this morning. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ecclesiastes. We started a new study in Ecclesiastes last Sunday. And it'll, it'll go probably a couple of months, maybe, through the summer. And uh, uh, it's easy to find. It's not a book we look at often, but it's easy to find. If you can find the Psalms, the next book's Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. So it's easy to find. Turn there with me. And chapter 1 in this book. This is a book that's often misunderstood and often misapplied. Uh, not only that, it's often just totally overlooked. And you read a little bit of it and you don't understand it. You just don't read it. You don't come back to it. And so uh, I hope that uh, by this study it'll, it'll help us to understand the book and be able to draw great truths from it. It really is a very needful book for our day. It's, it really speaks to our generation, though it was written 3,000 years ago, because God is the author and uh, he speaks to every generation through his word and certainly uh, he speaks to us uh, today from this great book you remember the book is a part of the poetic books in the bible and so it's written in poetic form and uh, using poetic terminology and that's important to remember so that we can understand it well well let's read verse one we we went over the, the opening here and the first 11 verses last week. We're going to start in verse 12 in a minute, but let's, we're going to really look at two chapters as a whole. So let's read those first three verses again. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. You remember we identified this as Solomon, son of David, and many other indicators in the book that this was Solomon. And then he gives us the theme, vanity of vanities saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The word vanity means empty, meaningless, of no value. And he's saying all of life is empty and meaningless and of no value. Uh, one translation translates it meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. <laughs> Doesn't sound like something a preacher would say. All of life is meaningless, but that's what he says. And then he defines it a little bit in verse 3. What profit hath a man of all his labor? What good does it do? Everything you've done in your life, what good does it do? Which he taketh under the sun. Now that phrase, under the sun, is used 27 times in this book. Three times the phrase, under heaven, is used with the same meaning. So 30 times we have this meaning. When he talks about life being empty... And life being meaningless, he's talking about a life under the sun. Now remember, this is a poetic book. That's his poetic way of saying, without God, under the sun. God is above the sun. If you live uh, without a relationship with God, all of life is empty. Or even if you have a relationship and you live as though you are without God, then uh, all of life is meaningless and vain. And that's the theme uh, of the book. So he's going to say many things about vanity. The word vanity and vanities is th used 38 times in the book. And he will repeat that over and over. Now let's jump ahead to uh, verse 12 and 13. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. 
And I gave my heart to seek and search. See the word seek and search? Here's another word to add to the key words I gave you last week. Uh, and, and this is used nine times in this uh, just 12 chapters. Seeking. That's the reason for my subtitle, uh, Man's Search. Mankind's Search for Meaning. This is a search. Solomon is saying to us, I sought for purpose and meaning and joy in the things of this world, and I could not find them. It was all vanity. He's saying, I don't want you to make the same mistake. I want you to learn from my, uh, from my foolishness and not go through the pain of making the mistakes I made. It sounds like, you know, what parents say to their children. And this is what God is saying to us through Solomon. And so he says he sought out wisdom and so forth. We'll come right back to that verse in a moment. Father, thank you for our time together now. Make this profitable for each of us today. Teach us from this ancient book of yours. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Came across an article this past week in uh, Psychology Today, a journal written by Dr. Steve Taylor, Ph.D., lecturer at Leed Bennett University. The title of the article is The Madness of Materialism. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes is going to address materialism directly. But really... Materialism is behind the whole book. It's the undertone of the whole book. Materialism versus true living, true joy uh, in the Lord. Uh, and so materialism really is a backdrop for this whole book. In this article, Steve Taylor tells about a man, James Marshall, in 1848. He was building a sawmill next to a river... Uh, in what we know today as Sacramento. And uh, while he was working, he saw something shiny in the water, and he stepped out in the water and picked up a shiny rock, and that shiny rock ended up being gold. And the rumors spread, and the information spread, and people heard, and people began to pour into that area. In the tens of thousands they came. And uh, he writes in his article, they abandoned uh, uh, there were abandoned ships all over the California coast. Businesses closed down. And whole towns were deserted. People left their towns, left their jobs, and, and went out to seek gold in that area around Sacramento. And then it says that uh, San Francisco grew from a little shanty town uh, to a city of tens of thousands in just one year. Over the next few years, 300,000 gold seekers came to California seeking their fortune. He then tells about the terrible consequences that comes to the Native Americans that lived in that area. Uh, they were run out of their area, and sometimes they tried to make a stand and protect their land, and many of them were massacred, and, and uh, some were run off. At the beginning of this, there was 150,000 Native Americans in that area. And over a period of a few years, that dwindled down to 30,000. 
And so it was tragic for the American Indian. This gold fever, as it's called. This, as the, as uh, Dr. Taylor calls it, the madness of materialism. Now, he comes down to the article where he talks about us. So listen, listen to this. He writes, in some ways, the gold digger's materialism, uh, madness of materialism was understandable since they were living at a time of great poverty. And for many of them, gold digging seemed to be the answer to escape from starvation. But most of us in the Western industrialized world, we don't have that kind of excuse. Our appetite for wealth and material goods isn't driven by hardship, but by our own inner discontent. Wow. He sounds like he's been reading the book of Ecclesiastes. It's our own discontent. It's our own seeking after something to give life meaning, to bring happiness to ourselves. He goes on and says, we're convinced that we can buy our way to happiness. That wealth is the path to permanent fulfillment and well-being. We still measure success in terms of the quality and price of the material goods we can buy or the size of our salaries. Then he goes on to tell, our mad materialism would be even more forgivable if the evidence that material goods... And wealth do bring happiness was evident. He goes in then to tell us that study after study after study over the period of the many years comes back to the same conclusion. Wealth does not bring happiness. And uh, the truth is, once you have enough to... Uh, feed yourself and a roof over your head, the more wealth you accumulate, then instead of bringing more happiness, you're in a higher percentage of being depressed or even a higher percentage of, uh, of suicide. And so this is a fallacy. It is a lie of Satan that material gain... Accumulating things, bigger, better, more, newer, brings any kind of happiness or well-being. And then he, a couple of other times, mentions the inner discontent that brings this to us. Last quote, he says, We look to external things to try to alleviate our inner discontent end of quote that's what this book of Ecclesiastes is all about Solomon is saying you can never feel that discontent in your heart with things regardless of what they are things that are under the sun what we need is the thing that's above the sun we need a relationship with the God of the universe that created the heavens and the earth and we need to live as though we're in that relationship with Him on a daily basis and we can find our joy and peace in Him and then when we do, we can enjoy the other things in life as well. But when we seek those other things as the source to give us purpose and joy, then it's like 
chasing the wind and chasing after bubbles. Well, we're going to look at seven sections that I've divided these two chapters into, so I've got to move quickly. Look back at your screen for a moment. And uh, our search for meaning. Uh, all of us, uh, we want meaning and purpose in life and joy and happiness in life. And this is Solomon's search and our search as well. And so uh, the first thing after the introduction, he says to us uh, that uh, if when we seek for meaning in physical life, it is vanity. Now we read these verses last week, so we're not going to read them again. But just verse 8, look at it. All things are full of labor. That is, they're wearisome. Man cannot utter it. It's beyond description. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. There's something missing. Even if you can see the wonders of this world, there's still something missing. And in our uh, ear filled with hearing, uh, there's, it does not satisfy. He's saying in this portion of Scripture... Physical life itself can't bring you meaning and joy and purpose. Uh, even if you're alive, uh, that's not enough. Or, or just being in good health, as wonderful as that is, that's not enough. Even living a long life, even if you live a long life, eventually you die anyway. So living a long life is not enough. We need something better than what's under the sun. We need a relationship with the God who created the heavens and earth, the one who is above the sun. Now, remember, Solomon himself was a believer. And he had backslidden. And he tried, in his backslidden condition, he tried to find meaning and purpose and joy in all of these things that he's going to talk to us about. He's like a father warning us. He doesn't want us to make the same mistakes he did. And uh, so, first of all, we see that if you try to find real joy and contentment in physical life, it's vanity, it's meaningless, you will not find it. It's like chasing after the wind. And then the second portion here, if you look back at your screen, is the vanity of human wisdom. And that's where we begin in verse 12 where he says, uh, uh, the preacher here is the, he's the ruler, king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all things that are under the heaven. There's that phrase again. It means the same as under the sun. Uh, this sore travail. Sore travail means a, a very hard uh, turmoil. It means something that is miserable. This very miserable thing uh, hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised thereby. He doesn't blame this misery on the devil. He says God has given us this search. He's given us a free will. He's given us a, a mind to think things through. And uh, we use that mind and we use our free will uh, to try to find meaning in life and uh, a purpose uh, in life and joy, happiness in life. And so he says uh, in verse 14, I have set all works that, uh, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. Again, there's our phrase. And remember, this is poetry. And behold, all is vanity, all is useless, meaningless, and vexation of spirit. That is, 
It is like chasing after the wind. Then he says, That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting or lacking cannot be numbered. (coughs) There's so many needs in mankind. There's so many needs around us. You can't number them all. The things that are lacking can't even be numbered. And if something's crooked, it cannot be made straight. Now remember, this is under the sun. When Jesus came to earth and walked among us, he took crippled legs and spoke the word, and those crooked legs were made straight, and crooked arms were made straight, and crooked souls were made straight. Jesus can make things straight. God can make things straight. But under the sun, the crooked cannot be made straight. Jesus can meet the needs of mankind. Remember what Jesus said. He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And he talked about his peace and his joy being in us so that our joy and our peace might be full, flowing, uh, and, and overflowing. And so he says that uh, uh, the crooked cannot be made straight under the sun. Jump down to verse 17. And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit. This is chasing after the wind to try to, uh, to, try to find all the answers in life and give yourself totally to wisdom and knowledge. Verse 18, For, this, for in much wisdom is much grief, and in increased uh, knowledge increaseth sorrow. Wow. Now I don't think... He's saying to us, ignorance is bliss. (laughs) But it sounds a little like it, doesn't it? The more we learn about the needs of people around us that cannot be met, the, the more it causes us grief. The more we hear about the tragedies of life, the more knowledge we gain, the more it hurts. For instance... What if for a whole month, you and I did not hear one thing politically about how much this group hates this group and how bad everybody... What if we didn't hear one thing politically for the whole month? Yeah. Just think... I mean, just thinking about it kind of makes you rest on the inside. Like, ooh, man, that would be a relief not to hear all that stuff. That's the idea. The more we know about the terrible things going on in the world, the more it can cause sorrow. What if, for instance, we, uh, what if also we didn't hear any political fussing and name-calling, but what if also we didn't hear about one natural disaster or one murder or one of the terrible things that go on all around us? What if we didn't hear any of that for a month? All we heard was... Husband and wife talking and parents talking and children. And, and wouldn't that be something? Now, God's not saying we shouldn't be informed by any means. He's just making a statement, a true statement of fact. Increased knowledge can bring sorrow. Because we can't meet all those needs and we can't feel all of those things that are lacking. And so uh, it, it brings difficulty. Now... Uh, that's all under the sun, though. Even when things are going bad, we can find joy and purpose when we look beyond the sun, when we look to God Himself. And so we have then this 
uh, second grouping of verses. If you look back at your screen here uh, on human wisdom, the third is the vanity of physical pleasure, uh, chapter 2. Verse 1, I said in mine heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth, or merriment, celebration, a good time. Therefore, enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. This is empty as well. This is nothing as well. This doesn't bring any meaning to life either. I said of laughter, it is mad. It's crazy. I said of mirth or joy, uh, uh, of merriment, uh, what doeth it or what good is it? I sought in my heart to give myself to wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom and to lay hold of folly till I might see uh, what was that good for the sons of men which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. And so he sought merriment. He sought physical pleasure. And he said in verse 1, it was vanity as well. Picture Solomon for a moment. He's the richest man on earth. There's nothing he can't buy, nothing he can't own. And picture him in one of his great palaces, in a great banquet hall, with all the big shots and rich folks and nobles from the kingdom there celebrating with a great feast. And they, they eat and they drink, and, and musicians come in and play uh, beautiful music, the best musicians in the land. And, and uh, people come in and sing, and then some people come in and act out a drama. They have a play, and uh, when it's all over, Solomon goes back to his room at night. And when he lays his head down, his life is still empty, meaningless, he said. All, all that laughter is vain and empty. Now, if you know Christ... As your Lord and Savior, you can, you can enjoy things in life. You can enjoy, for instance, physical life. You can enjoy learning and wisdom. And you can even enjoy life's pleasures. But when you try to find your purpose and peace and joy in them, they come up empty. And then there's a next one. If you look back at your screen, the fourth grouping, I grouped it like this, the vanity of human achievements. Now, this one will probably touch all of us because we live in America and we're all geared towards personal achievements, human achievements. Look what he says. I made me great works. The, the English isn't too good, but I think you'll understand. And, of course, that's not exactly the way he said it. That's the way it was translated. I made me good works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. Now, he made great palaces in the historical part of the Bible that tells about Solomon. We know he built the, the, the temple, which was uh, one of the great wonders of the ancient world. And um, not only that, he built great cities. He built great palaces and so forth. And, and uh, uh, he built great things. Look at verse 5. I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in, in them of all kinds of fruit. And I made pools of water to water therewith the wood 
that bringeth forth trees. And so he said, I made big pools. He made lakes and, and ponds and maybe swimming places. But he also had an irrigation program that he, that he built so that water would run to the plants and the vineyards and the trees and so forth to water them. He was, a, he was a great designer. Solomon was a great designer and a great architect and a great engineer. Man, he could build things, not just little things. He could build huge, impressive things that made people stand in awe. And yet he's going to say in a moment, all of that was vanity, empty as well. When you get down to verse 7, it comes to a ne the next grouping. If you look back at your screen, that next grouping is uh, the vanity of material wealth. Now he speaks directly to materialism. But as I said, materialism really is a backdrop for the whole book. Look at verse 7. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were before me uh, uh, in Jerusalem. So he had more than anybody had ever had in Jerusalem. I gathered me also silver and gold and the uh, peculiar treasures of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. He had gold and silver and precious stones and anything his heart desired. Look at uh, verse 9. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever, notice this, and whatever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. Wow. Anything he saw, he wanted it. He just bought it. Didn't have to check his checkbook. Didn't have to talk to his financial advisor. He didn't have to ask his wife. Uh, if he saw something, he bought it. He didn't even have to want it much. He could just want it a little bit and he'd buy it. Anything his heart saw, anything his eye saw or his heart desired, he bought it. He, had, he was the richest man on earth at the time, the historical uh, description of Solomon tells us. Look at verse 10 again. And whatsoever mine eye desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked at all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity, that is, emptiness, Nothingness, meaningless, and vexation of spirit, aggravation of soul, grasping after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Now, all of that's true under the sun. Without God, life is an empty series of meaningless things. Wow. And then... If you look back at your screen, number six is the result of vanity. The result of vanity is despair, discouragement, and depression. Now, we can't look at all these verses, but we'll look at just a few of them. Look at verse 16. 
For there is no remembrance of the wise more than the fool forever. <laughs> uh, he, he's saying, oh, oh, in, a, in a couple of generations, everybody's going to forget that, that we were even born, that we existed. That's kind of depressing, isn't it? My grandchildren will remember me, I hope, but my, my grandchildren's grandchildren, they won't even know my name. It doesn't matter whether you're wise or whether you're foolish. That's, the, that's true of both categories. That's what he says. He says, uh, uh, and then he continues, Seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man as the fool. So, <laughs> if you're wise... Uh, you're going to live on average to be, you know, mid-80s. If you're a fool, you're going to live to be mid-80s. Whether you're wise or a fool, you're going to die. We're all going to die, he said. And we're all going to be forgotten. And uh, that's just what's true under the sun. Now, if you think that way and you live that way, it causes a reaction. Look at uh, the next verse, 17. Therefore, because of this, therefore I hated life. Because of all that's been said so far in chapter 1, chapter 2, because of all this vanity, I hated life. Richest man in the world. Nothing he couldn't have. He hated life. Look at the next part of that verse. Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Yea, I hated all my labor. When I looked at those palaces I built, I hated them. I hated everything I did. Because I was going to die and lose it all. And He hated life. He hated his own labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. You know, a lot of times rich people really struggle with that. They don't want to leave their money to somebody else. They, they'd like to take it with them, a lot of people. The truth is, in the historical sections that speak about Solomon, the truth is Rehoboam, one of his sons, really did squander all of Solomon's riches. The thing he feared most come upon him. Of course, he was dead, but uh, his son did squander all of his wealth and riches. Look at verse 20. Therefore, I went about to cause my heart to despair. Cause my heart, it it's means more like I allowed my heart to despair. And so his heart despaired of all the labor which I took under the sun. These are strong words. He despaired. He hated life. He hated all that he had done. He'd come to that place where he just hated everything. It sounds like a, a lot of young people in our day and age, doesn't it? They just kind of hate life. They don't like anything they've got. They hate anybody and everybody. Sounds like a lot of middle-aged folk, too, who the pressures of life have gotten them down, and, and they're struggling and overwhelmed, and they begin to hate life and despair of life. Sounds like the elderly sometimes too when broken health comes and disease and 
pain. And they despair of life and hate their life. But it doesn't have to be that way. Solomon is telling us this so we don't come to that. But this is a real description of our world. I've got here some statistics on depression, despair, hating life. Here's one. Depression affects nearly 10% of Americans age 10 and over in any one given year. Some statistics go as high as 20%. Depends on how you define depression. It says more Americans suffer from depression than coronary heart disease, cancer, and HIV. Wow. The ultimate terrible thing about depression is, of course, suicide. Every day in America alone, 129 Americans take their own lives. For every one American that takes his own life, 12 try to take their life and fail. Every day. Think about that. What happens? They hate life. They despair of life. They hate their life. They look at what they've done and what they've tried to earn and they hate it. Because they're living under the sun. Instead of in fellowship with the sun, S-O-N. And then it goes on to say, Suicide is the second leading cause of death for adults between the age of 10 and 34. The only thing that kills more is automobile accidents. Suicide, number two killer. People 10 to 34. That's remarkable. One last statistic. Suicide claims more lives than war, murder, and natural disasters combined. That's in the U.S. We live in an age when people just hate life. They despair. They're unhappy. They're discontent. The reason is we're, we're looking for joy in all the wrong places. We're looking for purpose and meaning in all the wrong places. We're looking uh, for it in material gain and, and in the works of our hands and, and in uh, pleasure and, and even in wisdom and even in life itself. But it never comes. It's like chasing the wind until we get our peace and joy from Christ Himself. Jesus said, My joy I give unto you that your joy might be full. And so they were miserable. He was miserable. If you think the way He has described to us in chapters 1 and 2, it's It'd make you miserable, all right, wouldn't it? But remember, he keeps saying that's under the sun. And then one more. Look back at your screen. And uh, number seven. The answer to vanity, the vanity of life, and to the despair it brings. Now that comes to the end of the chapter that we covered last week, so I'm just going to read over it. We've already looked at it. But look at it. Notice how it comes now in the in the sequence of events, in the sequence of his uh, description. So verse uh, 
uh, verse 23 ends with, This is also vanity. Then he says, There is nothing better for man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. So now he says, everything's miserable, everything's empty, nothing's meaningless, but here's, a, here's something good, and that is that a man would enjoy his meals, that he would joy, enjoy his beverage, and that he would enjoy his labor because he recognizes it as being from the hand of God and is therefore thankful. It's thankfulness, it's gratitude that begins to turn our our mind from uh, the negative to the positive and all that God has done for us. And then verse 25, uh, for who can eat or who else uh, can hasten. Remember that word hasten means to hurry along with joy. And it's translated most of the time joy. Uh, who, can have, who can eat or who can have joy more than I? Or as we described to you last week, the meaning there is uh, without God. Who can eat or who can have joy without God himself? It is God. These are gifts from God. And then he names three gifts from God in verse 26. For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight. That means that's pleasing to him. There's none good that is good enough. But we can be pleasing to him. It, that is, if we're redeemed by the blood of Christ, and we're, uh, our sins are confessed, and we're walking in fellowship with Him, and doing our best to serve Him, then we can be pleasing to Him. And so for those who are pleasing uh, in His sight, He gives wisdom and knowledge and joy. These are gifts from God, wisdom, knowledge, joy. And uh, they're all good gifts for us to enjoy. But to the sinner, that is a person living away from God's will. Now, we're all sinners in the sense that we have all sinned. But this is people who are living uh, away from God and, uh, and living a lifestyle that, that God does not approve. Uh, but to the sinner, he giveth travail, hardship, to gather and to heap up. That is, he tries to find his joy in material things, his purpose. And... Uh, uh, that uh, he may give them to uh, give them that is good, that is pleasing before the Lord. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. That is for the man who is the sinner, the man who is accumulating things and trying to find his joy and purpose in things. That is vanity and vexation of spirit. Find your joy in Christ. You find your joy in Christ, then you can enjoy all these other things. There's, there's nothing wrong with pleasure in itself. It just won't bring you meaning and joy. <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with life. There's nothing wrong with wisdom. There's nothing wrong with hard work and accomplishing things. There's nothing wrong with money in the bank. You can enjoy these things if you find your joy first in Christ. But as long as you're trying to find your joy and purpose in these things, it's like chasing the wind, like trying to catch a bubble. Every time you get close to it, it pops. Look at uh, the New Testament. Uh, go back to my screen, please. In Timothy, Paul says, We should trust the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. I don't want you to think from this book for a moment that... that life is a downer and that we can't enjoy life. Just the opposite. 
This is his poetic way of saying we can enjoy life. We should enjoy life if, we, if our joy comes from above the sun, if it comes from God himself. And the Amplified puts it like this. God, who richly and, and uh, ceaselessly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Enjoy life, he says. Enjoy all the gifts God's given you. Find your joy in Jesus, and you can enjoy everything. Bow with me, please. With our heads bowed, maybe you'd say this. Preacher, I know I'm saved, no doubt about that. But I want you to pray for me because I want to find my joy in Jesus. I don't want to live a life that is just uh, chasing after the wind. I want to find my joy in the Lord, and that's my prayer. If that's your prayer today, would you slip your hand up, please, all over the building? Yes, my hand's up as well. You may put them down. God bless you. Maybe you'd say this. Preacher, I'm not saved. I've never trusted Christ in Christ alone. Pray for me. No one will come to you or embarrass you. We will pray for you. Would you slip your hand up for prayer? Preacher, I'm not saved. Or I don't know. I'm confused. Pray for me. Anyone like that? All right. Father, thank you for our time together. Lord Jesus, you've seen our hands. Teach us to find our joy in you. And in doing so, then find joy through all the things your hand has given. We give you praise. Teach us. Deliver us from trying to find meaning and purpose in all the things that are just vanity by themselves. Teach us this great truth, we pray.